Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about what has been a very big week in terms of women in CEO positions. So the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. We'll also talk about how a male comedian tried to make light of domestic violence in a time where male violence has killed four women in one week in one state in Australia alone. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 24th of November, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley. I am joining you from Gadigal land. And as always, I'm joined by my co-founder, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Ange. Uh, So as usual, we do like to start with a bit of a win that we've noticed from the week. Tyler, I know that you've got a good one. What's your win? Oh, look, there have been, again, there have been a few wins this week. So it was a little hard to choose, but I did want to highlight something that I saw come up as a reel on social media that really did give me the giggles and it just made me feel good, which I think at this point in time when so many people are feeling absolutely shit about so many atrocities that are happening in the world, uh, it is really nice to kind of see moments of lightness like this. So it was a reel of two sisters, so Sarah Wolner and Katie Riggins. They're American. So they posted this video in tribute and also as kind of a message to their late mum about all the stupid mistakes that they had made since she had passed. And they were really hilarious. So things like the fact, well, they and they branded it as their confessions to their dead mum. Um, and the two of them just like pissed themselves laughing the whole way through about what they'd forgotten to do since she had died. Things like, you know, forgotten to pay her taxes and forgotten to insure her car and then, uh, had driven it and like all these really simple things, but it was just such a nice way, like to almost like laugh your way through grief. Mm. Um, they were talking about, one of them talked about how, She was sorry um, because she hadn't been able to cry at the mum's funeral because she was so pregnant that she thought she would vomit if she cried. (laughs) So, like, it was just so good. It was just a really nice light moment. And um, obviously other people thought so too because it's racked up about 20 million views on TikTok and I think that's still climbing. So that's my win for this week because I think we all need a laugh at the moment. Yes, we, we, we do. It's a weird thing to laugh about. I've just weirdly had this flashback where, um, and this wasn't for a family member's funeral, a friend's funeral, but where I was pregnant at a funeral and I actually uh, pretty much fainted and it was kind of awkward in a way and I feel terrible. And I never really thought about like the idea of being pregnant at funerals, but it was because it was, you know, it was hot and it was, you know, you're all inside and it was stuffy and, and it was just, it was one of those, it's like, no, I, I didn't mean it to be about me, you know, it was a very weird. That would have been your confession, right? Like, I mean, I'm yeah, sorry people did have a little laugh about it, but uh, it was, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, that was a nice one. So, uh, my uh, my win. Uh, so, something that went, uh, I guess, kind of under the radar this week, but it was a milestone that was reached in the Victorian Parliament. Uh, so, Labor's Eden Foster won a by-election in the seat of Mulgrave over the weekend in Victoria. And that meant for the first time that uh, gender parity was actually achieved across the Victorian Parliament when you average the upper and lower houses. And it comes exactly 100 years since state legislation was enacted enabling women to stand for Parliament in Victoria. So it only took 100 years, but what a nice way to at least commemorate that uh, milestone as well. It's a milestone that wasn't really picked up 
by the news much and maybe that's possibly suggesting a good thing in a way that um, it's not as newsworthy as it may have been in the past. So Lysia Heath from Women for Elections, she has written about this for Women's Agenda this week. And she talks about kind of what has supported this because this didn't just happen by itself. That's the that's the key thing around uh, gender equity is that time doesn't actually just make it happen, as we very much know. But she talks about some really positive and clear policy moves occurring in Victoria, including the Gender Equality Act 2020. And also, and this is the first time I've heard of this one, but the Chief Municipal Monitor which will give councillors new powers to tackle, I think, basically, you know, shitty behaviour in council, and that will come ahead of the 2024 local government elections. And so that um, could be a great mechanism for enabling more women to get involved with the idea that there will be some kind of oversight in terms of the bad behaviour going on. So good, nice, positive developments and a few lessons we can also learn about, you know, what has uh, supported those developments there too. Yeah, it's definitely a solid win for this week. On to our next story today, um, and it comes from a few big headlines we've seen this week, and they all feature female CEOs. Um, And as you said in the introduction, some are good, some are bad, some are ugly. In terms of positive evolutions, Mira Marathi had a very short stint as CEO of one of the world's biggest tech companies, OpenAI. So Sam Altman left the position very briefly uh, during the week and then sensationally returned days later with not a huge amount of explanation around what has actually gone on there or why he was stood down in the first place. But it gave us a chance, I guess, to revisit the incredible work that Marathi has done in tech and particularly paving the way for more women in the industry and taking a human-centered approach in AI. And of course, we actually profiled, um, we wrote a profile piece, Jesse too wrote a profile piece about Mira Marathi earlier this year. So it was interesting to kind of see that come full circle. And I'm sure her trajectory will only be kind of soaring from this point on as well. But some headlines were not so good. So this week, Jesse also looked at how Linda Yaccarino, the CEO of social media platform X, formerly Twitter, is possibly the ultimate glass cliff candidate as she manages the backlash that has come from Elon Musk's reckless tweets this week and uh, accusations against him of anti-Semitism and his undying push for free speech. And not to mention at home in Australia, former CEO of Optus, Kelly Bayer-Rosemarin, Um, stepped down amid an inquiry into the telecommunications crisis last week when Optus services collapsed and caused havoc around the country, to put it mildly. And there's a lot there. What do you think this week spells about female leadership in general? Well, that's a big question for three very different stories, (laughs) but I like how we've linked them all together there. Okay, so first to Optus. So Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin's resignation was a good thing. It was a good sign. It was a, you know, I really saw it as a symbol of leaders doing the right thing, stepping down when there is a monumental stuff up, taking responsibility for it, allowing the business to move on. And she actually put that in her statement as well. Um, And in her case, she actually fronted up to the Senate hearing and was, you know, peppered with hours of questioning about the outage, which would have been an incredibly difficult thing to do. I might suggest that was probably one of the worst days of her career. And she did that before resigning a few days later. So that was a strong move. And I think it should be commended that she did rock up and it came in 
uh, stark contrast to former Qantas boss Alan Joyce, who didn't front up to the Senate hearing and largely left that for his successor, Vanessa Hudson, who uh, happens to be the first female CEO of Qantas. So she got to (laughs) clean that up in her first few weeks of the job, among cleaning various other things up at Qantas too. We've probably used the the term glass cliff there as well at some point. Um, So Linda Yaccarino, uh, CEO of X, she she does have a glass cliff situation. There's no other way to describe that. Uh, We already knew that. I dare suggest maybe she knew it. Uh, I don't know why she'd take that job. Um, She's working with a founder who is making you know, hurtful and really harmful comments on the platform. And that is actually something that he's been doing this week, but it's also something that he's been doing for a very long time. Clearly having a CEO and some kind of CEO oversight there is not making that stop. So I don't know what she does from here. I don't like, surely you'd step down. I I don't know. But anyway, that's Linda Yaccarino. It would be nice to see her, I don't know, step down in some kind of protest or something else. Or maybe she is still looking for opportunities to be able to fix things there it does seem like she's trying to fix things like from the comments that she's made I mean obviously she has to kind of come from this that approach and and be you know perceived to be doing that Mm -hmm. but it is interesting I think the language that she's used around the crisis and and how she's kind of justified you know some of what's happened I feel like her position there is is untenable mainly because of Elon Musk like it's only a matter of time until she has to to kind of um, Mm. step down because he would be impossible to work with yeah and you know we we, mean we talk about a glass cliff thing but there are choices made there as well like if yeah you want to go and take that role cool like I I don't know but yeah what's that saying as well Yeah, yeah I don't know um Mira Mirati at OpenAI and there's so much going on there that we need to know more about. Um, I think it's really interesting that she's the CTO and I'd like we know that women are significantly underrepresented in AI and she's just a really great example and I think we've called her the most powerful woman in AI but she's really one of the most powerful people in AI. Um, but I've been following this story quite closely because I'm really interested in OpenAI. So for those who don't know, OpenAI is the company behind ChatGPT It is probably the most influential AI company in the world and it is on the, I mean, it's doing really, really significant things in terms of AI research and has a really interesting backstory as well in terms of being set up as a not-for-profit. There is like involvement from Elon Musk earlier on, so it's, it's just fascinating stuff. Sam Altman is the sort of spokesperson, the CEO there. Um, Many people would have heard him interviewed. He comes across as very reasonable and measured. He's called for regulation of AI. But, you know, he also sort of like wants to clearly sort of power on with some developments in AI as well. And so what we're sort of learning about this situation is that the board did fire Sam Altman, but also that the board was very split on what had happened. And my understanding is that split, and we might say that OpenAI, as it currently stands, now has an all-male board. I think they'll get more board members, but at the moment they've appointed three men and women have left the board now. And the suggestion is that those women were sort of concerned possibly about some developments at the company in terms of AI that may potentially harbour some dangers for humanity. This is some of the speculation that is going on at the moment. Um, that the, don't tell me that. 
that there are holes in AI. That the board was split among the sort of the accelerating people and the decelerating people. So people accelerating, saying, let's go full steam ahead. This is great. This is innovation. This is wonderful. And, you know, there are other great innovations in AI. But then also the decelerants were like, hang on, slow down. We need to stop. We need to pause. We need to make sure that everything is in order and there's guardrails and things in place. So I, and, um, I, I don't entirely know where uh, Murati stands in that, but I just think it's interesting what has happened with the board. And I guess my, I'm writing a piece at the moment on this, but that would be, we, we really need to get really good representation on that board. We need women on that board. I'd argue we need the accelerant people, the decelerant people, people with all different views about AI on the board. Uh, some kind of ethics background might be good. I don't know. <laughs> Lots of representation because OpenAI is a front runner on you know this research and it's affecting all of us and we really want to make sure that they've got a solid, really strong representative board would be the first step. <laughs> we could talk about more regulation and other things from governments, but... Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of takeaways <laughs> there around um, leadership this week. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think the, yeah, I agree, the Sam Altman, Mira Marathi situation and the, I guess, what's happening at OpenAI and in that sector in general is really kind of interesting to watch and absolutely representation is is key to making sure that AI is the opportunity that we want it to be, I guess. Mm-hmm. So on to our next story. So just to sort of think about this, so, so Matt Reif is a comedian from the US. Mm. Um, he's so funny. Comedian? Is comedian the right term? So funny. He's really, he's got, he's got he's all hilarious. the gags. Yeah. Anyway, so he walked on stage to a crowd of hundreds of people uh, to start his Netflix comedy show, Natural Selection, he opened with a joke about domestic violence and everybody laughed and people clapped and people whistled and some cheered and there was no punchline coming. There is none. Uh, and this actually happened in his Netflix special. And I'm sort of looking at this thinking, okay, there's one thing for this comedian to get on stage and say something so stupid, but another like Netflix to actually continue with the special. It has sparked a lot of backlash, but not enough. And so he delivered his uh, quote marks joke. Obviously, in a world where domestic violence uh, kills women across the world every day, including in Australia, as we know, um, yesterday we ran a story on the fact that four women have allegedly been murdered by men in South Australia alone in just one week, so in just seven days in one state. So, Tyler, what were your thoughts when you first heard this story or when you first saw this clip? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think my reaction was pretty much akin to most women in this country and across the world when we see something like that. It's just, it's just like, I mean, aside from everything else, the joke was just not funny. Like it was just pulling on like the world's worst stereotype of the fact that women should be in the kitchen and if they're not in the kitchen, they should be beaten for the fact that they're not in the kitchen. Like, I mean, even as a comedian, that is just like, it's just a shitty theme. Like it's not funny um but I I thought that um Olivia Cleal on our team who wrote this piece did a really lovely job of of capturing why it was such an issue like obviously you've got the joke and the fact that he's making that joke and feels comfortable to make that joke but then you've also got the people's reactions to the joke you know and as Liv mentioned in the article people weren't like laughing uncomfortably they were laughing as though it was a reasonable thing to to say and like that there was true humor um mm. 
with that kind of correlation made. And I think that that's really where the problem lies, particularly in Australia, because we have, I mean, to say that we're at crisis point in terms of domestic violence is the biggest understatement in the world. We have so much work that needs to be done. And to be honest, like we are just not making inroads in the way that we need to be. We know that. Like obviously I don't even know the, what we're up to. Is it, is it 51 or something women mm. killed already this year? And, mm. and as you say, point to those stats from, from um, South Australia this, this week alone. Mm. We have such an epidemic of immense proportions here in terms of domestic and family violence. And when we have people like Matt Rife getting up on stage, you know, able-bodied white blokes, to be, to be blunt, getting up on stage and making jokes like that, it normalises that, that situation. And I think we are really too cavalier about how we view domestic and family violence still um, mm. and that is a huge part of why we're not making the headway that we need to be making on it. People don't view it as the situation and the crisis that it is. And I think Matt Rife's response to this as well was just such an entitled, like, fucking bratty response as well. Like he could not take on the feedback. He could not take on the fact that, you know, his words had harmed people and hurt people. He he really doubled down. He made a joke about like people being too soft. Mm. You know, it's just that inability to reflect on what you've said um, and, and make any kind of change. So, yeah, can't imagine that Matt Rife's going to be on my regular viewing. But yeah, I think, again, the point that you made about Netflix actually running with it is is really telling as well. And and the fact that Matt Reif really said that this Netflix special that he created was for the boys. Like Oh really? Oh no. Like he used wow. that line. Yeah. This is this is for the boys. Most of my followers are women, but this one, this Netflix special is for the boys. Most like, of his followers are women, he wishes. <laughs> I know. Really? I know. Oh um yeah. yeah. Uh so I'm not a follower. I hadn't heard of him until this story. So <laughs> Yeah, that might be saying it all. Um, maybe, uh, and I don't know, I hadn't seen it come up on Netflix. Maybe I haven't been on Netflix in the past few weeks. But, uh, no, I hadn't heard of him. So, and uh, maybe Netflix will think twice before the next special. Let's, like, maybe, possibly. But it is also that idea of, like, you mentioned that the audience were laughing. So it's sort of this, oh, we, we have permission to laugh because, like, he has said it. And I think that is so problematic when you think about it because it sort of filters into all other conversations and also into the fact of people having those conversations and not realizing just how much of a problem you know domestic and family violence is especially you know when we look at the stats where people don't you know the, the the stats we've seen we've reported on this a couple of times from australia where people don't think that it domestic and family violence is happening in their suburb you know they think it is happening somewhere else like in their suburb or town yeah they think it it's happening somewhere and we're not sure so what is this somewhere else like what is this weird land where it's happening because that is actually not the case it is happening 
in every uh, socioeconomic environment, every type of suburb, regional areas, rural areas, uh, metropolitan areas. It does happen everywhere. And, you know, you can see, see this sort of entitlement of thinking, oh, we can make jokes about this, we can laugh about this, or maybe because I don't think it's an issue, maybe because it doesn't upset me that it's an issue, or maybe it's because I want to... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm sick of everyone else talking about it in such serious ways and isn't this great that we get to have some humour about it? But at the end of the day, no, it, it, we, we don't get to laugh about that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I just think as well, like I'm kind of a bit over comedians having to be sensational in that way as well. It's like mm. you don't need to use the most horrific shock value kind of issue to, to create humour. Like I, I get that that's something that's been commonly done. But I also think that good comedy is about the human condition. And when you you see really amazing female comedians in particular doing that in such an amazing way, you know, and like the late Cal Wilson was mm. the master of it. Like always empathy was at the heart of her jokes and like she was still so fucking funny. Mm. Um Mm. You know, Kirsty Wiebeck and and Celia Picola and like we have so many amazing comedians and and male comedians as well. I just I really hate that tendency to like go to that place. I I really I get I get that it's meant to make us think and it's meant to make us maybe it is meant to make us reflect. But I think often what it does is it trivializes really critical issues and um, makes us desensitized to them which I think is a problem yeah and the skill can often be in pushing some boundaries but like it's there is no skill in overstepping the boundary that says that you don't have the skill I think like you know it is in in pushing it but once you've overstepped it it's like come on you, you know what you're doing there so you're, you're shifting into the sensationalist thing and that's that's not a difficult thing to do anyone can do that it sort of shows some of the limitations perhaps in the humor Okay, well, uh, that is it for another week on the Women's Agenda podcast. Thank you for listening. You can catch more of these stories that we have discussed and you can catch up on a lot more that we haven't discussed because there has been a lot going on this week as there is every day and every week and we only really scratch the surface on some of the, the stories that we discuss here on The Crux. So please go and subscribe to our daily newsletter at womensagenda.com.au and check out all our stories online. Thank you for listening.